While if you have a Bible with you or on a phone or something around you, I'll invite you to open up to James chapter 5 as we are going to wrap up James this morning. And it's always uh, kind of with mixed emotions when we get to the end of a letter. When I get to the end of a, of a book, I look back and think, well, man, did we miss something? Uh, could I have spent more time here? Did we rush through this part as we've just been kind of been uh, one hit after another for 12 weeks as it took us to get through James? And, and have we gone too fast? And sometimes the answer is maybe. Other times the answer is uh, maybe less so. But I love this book. I don't know about you. I've enjoyed uh, being together. I've enjoyed uh, studying it and, and preaching it and then being encouraged by one another through it. But it's uncomfortable, isn't it? James is. This is a tough one. There's, there's so much here because, and, and James is uncomfortable because it shines a light on us. It shines a light uh, on our hearts and, and our lives. And frankly, uh, maybe it's just me, but I don't always like what I see in the mirror looking back at me when I compare it to the book of James. And that's why for so much of this series, we've been using the language of progress, not perfection. And that's a good thing because the book of James is going to show us every time you read it, no matter how many times we read it, that we're not yet where this letter is asking us to be. Progress, not perfection. Right out of the gate in week one of this series, we, we talked about the reality that God has called his followers to be servants rather than to demand that other people serve us. Remember in James 1.1, he wrote, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Now, that was 12 weeks ago. Is anyone still struggling with living like a servant? Just me in the room. That's, oh, a couple hands. Excellent. Good. See, here's the thing. The, the fact that we're still wrestling with these things, the fact that when we, when we read James, when we read any other, area, any other place in our Bibles, and we still see pieces of our life that we're struggling with or areas that we're not fully surrendered to the Lord, this is, is actually clear evidence to us that God is still working in us. He hasn't given up. He's still at work in us. Now, this week I had one of those days, uh, one of those moments where I had a bad morning. And so I was walking home from a car that I walked away from that needed a boost a bit later. And I just put a podcast on and I loaded up one that had been downloaded to my phone. And of the several you know, podcasts that are there, there was only three or four audio files that I could actually listen to. And so I ended up listening to someone preach and unpack from Psalm chapter 6. And it was a pre-COVID sermon but in that, that, those words that he spoke are the ones I needed exactly in that moment. I was reminded and convicted that I'm not where God needs me yet, where God wants me yet. He's, he's still at work. I still have rough edges. There are parts of my identity and character that are twisted and need to be sorted out. But God hasn't given up. And as we've said a few times through this series, Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross, and he's not giving up either. And the Holy Spirit is still working in me, maturing me, growing me, chiseling me, and conforming me to the image of Jesus. And so through this book, again and again, we see the call to progress, not just perfection. We see that, that God is at work in his people, and this is a work that continues day after day for our entire lives, no matter how much or how little time we have left. Again, one of the key verses from this book that really jumped out to me, it's not maybe one of the more popular or common verses. When you think of key verses in James, maybe this one doesn't jump out, but, but James 4, 6, at the beginning, he says, but he gives more grace. 
And maybe if you don't hear anything else from this morning or this whole series, maybe that's the thing you need to highlight and circle and underline in your Bible. But he gives more grace. I'm so glad that he's not done working in me yet. I'm so thankful for the promise of grace upon grace, no matter how slow my own progress seems to be. And I don't know about you, but I, I too often feel like a slow learner. Sometimes a really slow learner, like I should have probably dealt with this lesson 10, 20, 30 years ago for some of them. But I bet if we walk through week by week, section by section, and we're not going to walk through the whole book this morning, we will see some of these things that James has called us to. And, and hopefully, since we've been looking at the book of James now for three months or so, we'll see some progress in our lives. And, and we'll probably still see some ways where we need a little more work. We talked about these things. We talked about, again, living as servants instead of living to be served. We talked about considering trials as joy. Super easy, that one, right? We talked about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And, and if, I don't know about you, but if you have you know, a history of being around a church, often it's easy to just read the word and, and say, okay, I've read it today, let's move on to the next thing. But we're called to actually have the word impact us and live that out somehow. James challenges us to, to not be judgmental. That's a good one, right? But instead, extend mercy. He talks about how our works and our actions reveal the faith in us. He talks about watching our mouths. He talks about true wisdom versus false wisdom and worldliness versus godliness. He talks about walking in humility and dealing with money and patience. Again, there's so much to this letter. And then last week, as, as James began to, be, to, to bring this letter to a close, he started to lay out what we really need to grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus and mature in our faith. And, and right in the middle of chapter 5, there's this beautiful call to prayer and praise and confession. And so last week, we unpacked that, and we talked about how by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus on the cross, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with praise and prayer and confession, and repentance. And see, that's why the, I think that the heavy weight that this letter can put on our shoulders can be a good thing. Because as we start to feel the weight of all these things James is calling us to, and, and how, how much more progress there is to, to go yet, it reminds us of our need for God. It reminds us that we will never get there on our own. But God will be with us. God will help us. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us will get us down that road further. And it shows us that when we're, when we're putting our faith in God's wisdom, it, it's, it's, it's Him doing the work. And so I would suggest that conviction is a gift because it's an invitation for us to surrender ourselves to what God is up to in our hearts. And there, from that, from that point of conviction, when we read James, watch your mouth, then we can come and the Holy Spirit works in us and empowers us to confess and repent and say, yes, God, the words coming out of my mouth do not always bring glory to you and do not, I would not want anyone else to hear them. And we can come and confess and repent where we fall short. As, as one writer says, the gospel actually frees us to be wrong all the time, even though we don't want to be wrong all the time, but it frees us to do that because then we can own that and we can confess, and we can repent. And so here we are, the, the last two verses of this great letter. And we're going to see a couple of things here. We're going to see that, that we all wander, and wandering is dangerous. And therefore, the second thing we're going to see is, is every one of us, as followers of Jesus, we are, we are called to woo. 
We are called to, to draw people back to the Lord. And there is much to rejoice about as we are used by God to draw others to him. So let me read for us James 5, verses 19 and 20. He closes off his letter this way. He says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, as we look at these verses right out of the gate here, James isn't talking about someone else. Sometimes when you and I read a verse like this, we're like, oh yeah, I know that guy, he's a wanderer. And she, man, she's wandered a long ways away. But every one of us wanders. Everyone. There is no one who has ever followed Jesus that has not wandered, drifted a little bit from time to time at least. Now, the, the, the use of the word, James using the word wander here, could lead one to believe that this is kind of a, just an, an inadvertent thing. Sometimes we wander and we end up somewhere we weren't sure we were. This, is a, this isn't just a, you know, I, I thought I was going here and I ended up someone else. I, I must have missed a corner or something. It's not just the, you know, I was staring at my phone as I walked down the street and I missed the turn to get home. That, that's not the only way this word is used in the New Testament. The word James uses here for, for wander talks about any deviation from truth of faith, whether it's inadvertent or intentional, whether it's, it's major or minor. But he's also talking about not just this inadvertent, accidental walking away, he's talking about disbelieving and wandering our own way. Just really quickly, a couple of other spots where we see this word. In, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And while evil people or, and imposters will go on, there's that wander word, well, they will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That, again, that, that will go is the word for wander. Also, Peter, in 2 Peter 2, 5, he says, For those forsaking the right way, that's the way of truth, the way of the Lord, they have gone astray, they have wandered they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Did you see it there too? They, they wandered because they loved gain. So wandering isn't just an inadvertent drift, but at times it is a glad-hearted walking away. Sometimes it is a decision that says, you know what, I love my sin more than I love the things of God. I'm not going to let go of this area of my life and I'm going to follow it even though God wants me to do something about it. And so what we see here in James is, is that, that wandering can be two things. Wandering can be believers who just drift, or it can be those who have chosen to go away. Now, when we're talking about believers who, who do drift, and it is inadvertently, we've got to ask, have you ever been there personally? I have. I know I have. Let me ask this. There's a, there's a few of you in the room. If you have followed Jesus for, say, 15 years or more, raise your hand. 15 years, that's pretty good. Okay, keep your hands up. At home, you can drop a comment in the, in, in the chat windows there too if you are following along. Now, with everyone that still has their hands up, that's followed for 15 years or more, how many of you still continue to drift from time to time? Yeah. Not a single hand in the room went down. And I would suspect online it's the same case. I, I think it's kind of part of it, right? It's part of still being here. It's part of our, our, our flesh, our, our worldly nature that, that sometimes we're drawn away. 
One of the most famous historic songs of the church, and we're going to sing it after, says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. When we sing that song, pretty much every single time, it brings tears to my eyes because I know it's true. I know that my heart is prone to wander, but, but God, here, here it is. Take my heart back. Take me back. And so again, we, we can see in this book of James that sometimes wandering is inadvertent. But we also know from the book of James that sometimes there's just those who are wandering. And that's why it's serious for us as the church, as, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices to Jesus, to pay attention to wandering. Some of those, some of those are wandering, and, and some of those are, are maybe uh, wandering because they're looking for evidence that they're, they're not really followers yet. They're not really understanding what it is. Some people who are wanderers, they, they may talk the talk. They may sort of walk the walk. They may attend the events, but they might just be wanderers who actually don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. One writer says, listen, just as a reminder, having Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. Adhering to some sort of conservative moral code doesn't make you a Christian. See, some people do that. They were, I was raised in the church, and my, my parents always took us there, and they make me read the Bible, and they, they make me pray for meals, and so I guess I'm a Christian, right? We can easily turn this into just sort of a cultural thing. But this is one of James's fear throughout the whole book, is that the, the church would be filled with people who, who think they're Christians, but they're not. Remember, he, he talks about people who have deceived themselves more than once. And so when he's talking about these, these people who are wanderers here, one of the, the, the reasons this is so serious is because people can be self-deceived. They think they're following Jesus, but they're actually wandering. They're not really. And so as, as the community of the church, as the community that is filled with mercy and grace and faith that loves the Lord, we are tasked to go and, and bring them back, to, to woo that brother or sister back into communion, into common union with Jesus. And when that happens, that confession, that repentance, that bringing back will cover a multitude of sins. So how do we do this? Look at Proverbs 10, 12 with me, where the, the writer says, Now hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This idea that, that love covers offenses, that love covers a multiple of sins, is, is kind of a, a theme throughout the New Testament. We see it often. It almost seems to be like a, an early creed of the church. And it was a reminder for them of, of how they were supposed to function together. People, when they gather together, they are going to offend one another. But love covers over those offenses. I think we can see this proverb playing out in real time all over the place. Hate breeds hate, but love softens blows. Here's the reality. With, with sin in our lives and sin in the lives of those around us, when, when we give in to sin, when we start to drift and advertently or inadvertently, when we give in to some of those things, our hearts actually start to harden. And when we start to shrug off the things our, our conscience is telling us, the things that our conscience is leading us towards, and towards Jesus, soon we'll start to even hear that nudge less and less. And when our hearts start to harden, our reactions, our, our behaviors, our attitudes also all drift away from actions and reactions and attitudes that would remind people, point people to Jesus, but instead they would trend towards being angry, aggressive, self-serving, and dark. 
But what we're seeing here is the opposite. It's saying, listen, when we, when we love, love covers sins. Love de-escalates. Love woos people home. We see Peter talking about the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, one of the great things about the Bible is often it doesn't sugarcoat it. It just says, here's the thing, let's deal with this. And this is one of those places. Peter says, you got to do this earnestly. This is going to take work. This is going to be hard. It's not always going to be fun. Sometimes you're going to kind of hand out love and it's going to get stepped on and you're going to get hurt by that. But push through and love one another. So how do we do this? When we see a fellow follower of Jesus or apprentice of Jesus wandering, either inadvertently or purposefully, how do we deal with that? Well, I think uh, Jesus gives us a good example. So you can flip back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, and, and this next little bit I'm, I'm helped by Matt Chandler here as well. If we read Matthew 18, we, we see an example of how to, how to be careful and compassionate and, and merciful as we try to, to woo and draw back the wanderers, whatever kind of wanderer they may be. We'll have these words up, but, but look at Matthew 18. And this, again, as Jesus describes this process, it is a slow and, and careful and compassionate process. And we, we need to see this in the text here. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if a brother sins against you, he starts to wander away. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And, and if he listens, you've gained your brother. As we read that verse, I think it's beside me here. If you look at that, what do you guys in the room here, what do you see the goal is here? What's the goal of this? Feel free to call it out. To bring him back. Restoration. You've gained a brother. The goal is not for me to be right when I go there. The goal is not to posture myself and say, listen, I've got this figured out. You stink at this. Let me help you and we can, you know, you can stink less at it. The goal is to win the brother back. The, the goal is, is restoration. So when we're talking like we are here with James, this person may not be a Christian yet. So it may be, uh, the goal may be to win them to Christ even for the first time. Because maybe they've just fallen into that cultural Christianity that happens so often. So the goal is to win them. That's why we engage with them. But look at how this happens. There's a few things to notice even in this first verse here. This happens within a relationship that's already there. This isn't me going to someone I, I don't have a relationship, don't know, and see that they're doing something wrong or that the Bible says wrong and say, listen, you're a disaster. Come back with me. Right? There's, there's relationship here. The second thing we see is this is private. He says, right, go and, and tell, talk about this with your brother, with your sister. Tell them, tell them what you see between you and them alone. It's gentle, finally, as well. It's within relationship. It's, it's private and it's gentle. This conversation is started as one that's just drenched in love for the other. It says, listen, listen, I, I, I think you might be walking in sin here. I think you might be wandering here. Maybe, maybe you're drifting a bit here. It seems to me that, that maybe you're putting more effort in this thing that's leading you away from the Lord instead of following the Lord. Maybe you're, you're trying to do this, maybe you're not, but, but in love, I want to have this conversation with you. And that may or may not work. 
But we pray that it does because if you have these conversations, you, you point out in relationship with someone, I, I think you need to, we need to work on this together here, you've gained a brother and there's much rejoicing about that. But what if it doesn't? What if that person you go to says something like, listen, I've read a few verses in the Bible too and I remember a part in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, take the log out of your eye before you come talk to the speck in mine. Now, that might be an emotional response. The emotions are getting ramped up here. Things are elevating. We don't want to elevate. We want to, we want to de-escalate in love, right? And so when that's happened, it's, it's really easy to kind of respond in kind and say, oh, well, yeah, loghead, I'll show you the speck in, in your eye too. But what does Matthew say? What does Jesus say in Matthew 18, verse 16? Jesus says, listen, if he doesn't listen that time which means sometimes the person's not going to listen, right? If Jesus is saying, if it, the first step doesn't work, there's a second step, that means Jesus expected there might be a second step. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge, every, everything you're presenting might be established by the evidence of one or two witnesses. Again, this, this part of the process is slow. We're not, not rushing into this here. But we want to come with the second time with others. This is, again, not a show of force. This is not about power. This is not about trying to bully someone into your position. But it comes just, again, soaked and drenched in humility. It's saying, listen, maybe I've missed something, but maybe this guy has then too. There's two, there's three of us that we all see you're starting to drift here. Can we, can we talk about this? Maybe, maybe my own pride has gotten in the way and, and I'm jealous of you in this area, so I'm trying to bring you down in another area. Let's, let's talk about this. Help me understand. This isn't to have a bunch of people gang up and pile on on someone. This is about bringing others into the discussion, saying, listen, there, there's a conflict here. Can we help? Can you help? Maybe, maybe we're not seeing something. Can we add some perspective to this, this conversation, this conflict that's going on? Can you help us get to the bottom of this? Because it seems like this person's one and we want to bring them back. And so what we're trying to do with these, these, this second step is, is establish right information as well. Is this a sin issue or is it something else, again, that maybe we've just missed? Are, are, we, are we missing what's going on? Is this a conflict that, that just needs some godly mediation, or is it something else? Are we, again, are we just missing something? And again, the goal here is not the show of force. It's not to, to bully someone into a position, but the goal is to win that person back. The goal is that the community would spur one another on, right? The writer of Hebrews talks about that, that we, we need to gather together, we need to be in community to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and so the goal is to, to bring that person back into obedience and in faith towards God's leading and God's teaching. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us one last step, which again means the first step might not work and the second step might not work. Jesus says if that person is confronted with something first in private and then with a couple of others and they, they still are refusing to respond, if they're still saying, in effect, listen, I know what the Bible says, I'm doing it my way anyways, I know that this might be sin, but I'm going to do what I want when I want. At that point, look what Jesus teaches in verse 17. He says, if, if, he, if that person refuses to listen, then, then, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. That's, that's an outsider. Again, even though it's only three verses in Matthew 18, this has been a slow, a careful and compassionate process. 
But, but if that person still doesn't want to repent, and the fruit of their actions are then showing you that, that they're, they're not a believer, they're missing something there. Now, that doesn't mean that we treat them as a Gentile, a tax collector, we kick them out and leave them to their own devices and never speak to them again. Because Jesus told us that we're to go seek and save those who are lost, right? Those, seek and save those who don't yet know me. But rather than, than, than come as a brother, we need to change tactics, if you were, and that's not maybe the, the best word, but we change approaches when we come to that person. And we approach that person with the gospel and, and assume maybe that they haven't heard it for real and they need to hear it again for the first time. Again, that's where we get back to James chapter 5 where we as a community of faith need to be looking out for those who are wandering, looking out for those who, who are drifting and who, who may not yet know Jesus rightly and, and go after them and invite them to introduce, uh, invite and introduce our, our friends, our family, our neighbors to the Jesus of the Bible. Now, if you are here or online watching us and, and you are exploring faith right now, I just want to thank you that you're, you're with us. Thank you that you're here. But let me throw this out. I, I hope, especially over the last few months, what we've seen on social media and stuff, I hope that if you're exploring faith, that you'll judge the merits of Christianity based on Jesus, not solely based on his followers. Because let me tell you, we mess it up. We misrepresent him and, and throw in social media and politics and media in general, and you can get some wildly distorted images of who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of him, maybe especially when you throw politics into the mix. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you're reading the book of James, this is the last kind of final imperative that James gives. This five chapters has been loaded with, with commands do this, do that, do this. And he says the, his last words, his final words, go after the wanderers and bring them back. This is, again, just one more in a long list of reasons of why we need to be connected to a local church, connected to a local community of faith. We need to be connected to, to a people, to a community where you and I share life with one another so that we can help keep one another close to Jesus and help keep each other obedient in all that he asks. Well, as we wrap up this text, wrap up this series, wrap up the book of James, let me just close with a, with a really quick summary of three main themes that, that tie the whole book of James together. We said that this is a, a series that James writes about a faith that works. So the first thing he says, a faith that works is, is one that's only possible by the gracious gospel of Jesus. We, we are to work out our faith. We're to, to, to dig into the word and see how it works in us and, and the things that, that stir up in us as we read the Bible and Jesus speaks to us and as we pray together and as, as maybe someone comes and says, hey, Sean, I think you're wandering here. Let's bring you back. We, we work through those things, but we obey the commands of Jesus through his power, through the power of the gospel, the one who, who died on the cross for our sins. A faith that works is only possible through the gracious, gracious gospel of Jesus. The second thing, a faith that works is, is only possible and it's only played out in the context of community of faith. Again, if, if we went through the book of James and circled every time he used the word brothers or brothers and sisters or, or community family words like that, there would be at least 15 of them in five chapters, which means James is not writing to an individual. He's not writing to you as an individual. He is writing to a community. 
And so he is encouraging a, a family of faith to be together, to, to gather together, to, to be in each other's mess, to be in each other's lives. All the things that we're called to in this letter, and again, we reviewed them at, this, at the outset, there's a lot here. These aren't to be worked out just as individuals, but to be worked out in community. A faith that works is only possible by the gracious gospel of Jesus. It's only uh, played out in the context of the community of faith. And finally, a faith that works is ultimately aimed not to make you or I look good or us to have our best life now, but it's aimed towards giving Jesus glory. It's maybe easy, but sometimes uh, we can slip into having a, a faith that doesn't work, a faith that knows the right answers and just sits on them. But we would ask and we would pray that, that God would protect us and, and help us to, to repent of a faith that doesn't work, to, 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 to leave a faith that's stagnant or a faith that, that isn't bearing fruit. See, Jesus came and lived and, and led us, and he died for so much more than just our begrudging submission. He died to give us abundant life. And more than that, the world around us is looking for more than just what they have here. I had more than one conversation this week where someone said, listen, I, I see this person and they're chasing after this thing, whether it's youthfulness or the next toy or whatever else. Like just just got to stay young. Just got to stay, you know, have my influential status high. Our world is looking for something more than that. Our world is looking for something to give their lives to, something that brings lasting and eternal fulfillment. And that's, that's, that's a faith that works. So let me leave us with a question before we turn it back to the band. What kind of difference does Jesus make in your life? How is, how is your faith working out? How does your life look different today because you followed Jesus? For however long. As we wrap up and head out into our world, let's show the world a radically different way to live. That we would live as, as salt and light. That they would see our lives and come to know Jesus and give him glory as well. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this opportunity this morning that we have to gather. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you for this letter from James, this, this earliest letter from the New Testament that, that really shows us the, the foundation of, of the early church. And Jesus, there's so much here. There are so many things that, that we need to work on from this letter, and so we ask that you would work in us and through us. We ask for the next step of progress that would happen, even this, this moment right now, that you would uh, challenge us and convict us and, and show us things that are not uh, where, the way they should be and, and help us to confess and repent. I pray that uh, in a hard time to be community, in this, this COVID-19 area where, we're, where many of us are, are separated, that you would uh, draw us into community, pockets of community scattered through the Bow Valley even, where, where we would get to know you more. If you're joining us for the first time and maybe you, you, you don't know Jesus, but you want to, you have uh, not all the answers, but some answers, I would invite you to, to, to pray with us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have come to rescue us. Thank you that you have come to give us abundant life. We confess that, that we're not where we should be. We confess that, that we all have wandered. But Jesus, bring us back. Bring us back to you. Lead us and guide us and teach us. Thank you for your work on the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.